podcast where week by week we go film by film through the career of Nicolas Cage to find out if he is the king of the cinematic jungle or if he is at the bottom of the food chain. Each week I get a guest on and ask them, are they a Nicolas Cage fan? What was their first and which is their favourite Nicolas Cage film? This week I'm joined by comic book writer, musician and podcaster Mike West to discuss the 2019 film Primal. We will be speaking about this film in spoilerific detail. We will tell you blow by blow, punch by punch, everything that happens in this film. So if you don't want to know anything, if you want to go into the film blind, do stop the podcast now, watch the film and then come back. As always, you can find a handy document in the show notes that will tell you if and where the film is streaming in the UK or the US. If you fancy a little bit extra of this chat as well, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can get free extra bonus questions that I asked Mike. So what is his worst Nicolas Cage film? What is the best Nicolas Cage performance in a film? And which living or dead director would he like to see Cage work with? As well as that, you also don't get any of this. You don't get the intros and outros because what the intros me kind of setting up thing you fuck it you know you know what you know what the you know what the drill is all this bit is here for the for the new listeners the people who go well what's this all about then and then they listen to the intro get a gist of what's going on but the patron you're gonna you're gonna know that so yeah head on over there if you want to get all of that extra stuff so there's only one thing left to do and that's to get raging with cage <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. One last thing before we start the episode. You can now head on over to cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com to pre-order your very own and the first ever Caged In t-shirt titled Not The Bees. If you don't know the reference, then it might not be the t-shirt for you, but it is a amazingly designed t-shirt by Tim Sinclair celebrating Nicolas Cage and celebrating the 2006 Wicker Man film. And it's it's, it's, it's a fucking great looking t-shirt. It's going to come on a, a natural colored t-shirt with a burnt orange design and is gonna look amazing. So pre-order link is up now. Before Pause the podcast right now and order yourself one immediately. When a hunter loads his rare jaguar and a menagerie of other animals onto a boat heading from Brazil to Mexico, the last thing you want is a madman thrown into the mix. Nick Cage stars as Frank Walsh, part hunter, part foul-mouthed drunk in Nicholas Powell's 2019 action thriller, primal to find out if this film is a rare breed or a rabid wild beast is comic book creator musician and podcaster mike west how are you mike not too bad man thanks so much for having me on it's my absolute pleasure obviously (laughs) i um i got into the 
virtual van with virtual you van, yeah. <laughs> earlier this year or some point last year by the time this one comes out uh yeah so it's um you when we spoke then you told me you're a you're a nick cage fan and i think that's how we got we got chatting in the first place so yeah that was how you popped up on my twitter i think it was <laughs> because there's rachel who's like the tiny noggin comic creator i've met her at a few cons and stuff so it's kind of like me and my mate john who you've had on go to like comic cons and then we've seen tiny noggin stuff because she brought the cage zine so i think she was on an episode and she was sharing some stuff so that's how you came onto my radar and then i was like if some dude's talk, doing a podcast about nicholas cage I have to talk to him and obviously I've got a podcast so I wanted you on to talk about podcasting in a more general sense outside yeah. of Nick Cage but it was still a Nick Cage heavy conversation I think well that that is that tends to be my my life a lot of the time uh when I'm asked on other podcasts they're like do you want to come talk about this Nick Cage film and I'm like I can talk about I do watch other films I do like I do I do like films <laughs> by other people but um I'm not sure when it will go out. I was recently on a podcast called uh, Pizza Your Mind mm. that do uh, this amazing like concept where they ask like, what is your base? So what is something that is always there and like never going to shift in your life? And it's like, uh, what is your crust? So something that like it's taken a while for you to ch- uh, chew over, but you've like you've got you've got to it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's something it's something that you either like or you're still not sure about, and then it's like. A couple of other questions, but like I that ended sounds, up, yeah, it's a, it's a great that's such a deep thing. Like, I talk to musicians in a van, and you talk about like Nick Cage, and they're trying to break down the existential dilemmas of the world. But that, like, it, it's it's in whatever it wants to be. Yeah. So, like, I kind of w- went on there and talked about, um, just like a thing that will always be there for me is collecting things, and I won't mm. talk about it too much on here because obviously, uh, listen, yeah, listen to Pizza Your Mind, and uh. I ended up talking about like something that I had to ch- like chew over, and I, I probably am a fan of. I ended up talking about Nick Cage on that, so it's like even if I try and like get away from it, like Nick Cage always uh, seems to just come yeah. back. Do you reckon me. with like this podcast and obviously like Twitter and everything, is there ever a day where you go without thinking or speaking about Nick Cage, or is it like not twenty four seven, but it's a daily occurrence? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think there is. Like, I, I can't remember. Like since mate, since April, since I brought the podcast. Yeah, since I brought the podcast back, I don't think there's been a single day, possibly, <laughs> where I haven't typed his name. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty. I'm a. I don't, I'm living a wild life. Uh, but, Are you ever gonna get um, a Nick Cage tattoo? I thought about it in the past. Well, I think I'll get something to commemorate, th- like this podcast in some form. Or yeah, I've thought about getting some like um, plastic vampire teeth. That's uh, like a real like. Nice. Do you know what I mean? A r- r- real just a low key. Um, yeah, but I might get those, and then something that is a bit more brazen, like uh, a, a, a full Conair back piece or something. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, uh, speaking of Connor, obviously we're, um, we're here to find out, firstly, are you a Nick Cage fan? Uh, well, I, I, say, I say that, we, I, we already know that, don't we, Mike? Yeah, yeah, diehard Nick Cage fan. So where, where did the kind of love and the kind of fandom for you start? 
Like, I think it's, you know, when I was a kid, Channel 5 was still a thing. And Channel 5's action films were the best things on TV. In my opinion, you had, like, Sylvester Sloan's Demolition Man. You had Predator. You had all the Jean-Claude Van Damme films. And every now and then, they'd throw in, like, Snake Eyes and Con Air and Face Off and The Rock. So growing up on like that Channel 5 like action movie, I think it was like on a Friday or a Saturday. That was when I was first like exposed to like a Nick Cage film. And then in high school, it was, you take more notice of who's in what films. It's not just this film or that film. You pay attention to the cast and the director and things. And it was, you're looking at Nick Cage's body of work, which is a really diverse body of work to enjoy and dive into. Well, yeah, it's definitely like within one year, you can get like a real, a real mixed bag of quality of like mm. genres, tones of films. Like, uh, I don't know. We look at we take 2019 for a perfect example, right? So it's 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 a heavy year for Cage, a man who seems like he's not stopping. So that's when the film we're going to be talking about today. Uh, came out your primal came out but also you had grand isle kill chain running with the devil a score to settle and color out of space so what's that that's a, a two that's a six six film year for nick Cage. yeah so like and it's like i can tell you for sure there is definitely some varying quality in that <laughs> in that bunch yeah well the good thing about primal was I haven't seen a score to settle and the trailer for that was on the DVD for Primal. So I was like, hold the fucking phone, where's this DVD? <laughs> and the thing that I'm kind of lamenting at the moment is the Asda by me is getting re like redone and restored or whatever. So they're all under work. So the DVD section's only about like 10 titles. So there's no cage films at the moment. So I'm waiting for it to come back to its full glory. Well, a score to settle, I think I picked it up uh on dvd from a cx or ebay and it cost me no more than two pounds i think <laughs> and this is a film that came out last year the case has to be about that much like to <laughs> physically produce the seat like because i've made like vinyl and cds and shit like the cost of getting something made is more than that yeah, well, it's, it's it's obviously like just the disposable culture we live in. Yeah. And obviously, it's gonna a lot of these are probably made on like uh, single layer like DVD. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind yeah. of that's why they they're never they're the boat they're boasting of special features on a lot of these releases is like comes with an interactive menu and it's like that's not <laughs> a special feature, guys. Yeah, and it's like has the trailer on it and you're like, thanks. Yeah, like. Yeah, it's, it's 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 very bizarre. I kind of forgot for so many years. I got into like kind of like everyone else got into streaming so much, and obviously like doing this podcast over the last yeah like since I've come back, um, it's obviously watching a lot of like DVDs and stuff like that. And I forgot mm. that the like I'm not sure if it's like the specific genre of DVDs, like the the Nick Cage like action revenge thrillers and stuff like that, but they all have trailers for other films so like I've, I've probably got the same copy of primal as you so it's a score to settle i think there's like john wick three yeah. and yeah, like something else on there and i was like fucking hell and it gets me really nostalgic for like vhs tapes and stuff like that yeah and to like 
I try not to watch trailers as much because they always put so much like spoiler things in now. Like trailers now are a lost art form. It's just how much of the film can we fit into three minutes? So you get the entire plot. But like actually like good trailers, you're like, oh, I really want to see that. I remember like Knives Out was coming out. Um, I saw about five trailers in the cinema for it. And for five of those trailers, they didn't have the release date on it. And I was like, when the fuck is this film coming out? <laughs> and I was like, I was actually excited for trailers to be like, when is this coming out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so obviously, yeah, you said like Channel 5 was where you like kind of dipped your toe and started to see some Cage. But can you pinpoint which was your specific first Nick Cage film you saw? See, I think it was the vaguest memory I have is in Snake Eyes. He argues with someone near a boxing ring, doesn't he? Yeah, that's like a, a big pivotal like thing. Yeah, I remember that is probably my earliest cage memory on Channel 5. I remember him arguing at the side of the boxing ring where it's like down the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it like, like him and Gary Sinise, right? Yeah, so that Snake Eyes is probably the first cage film I ever watched. And that is like the haziest memory I have of cage. And then I think it was Face Off after that. But Snake Eyes was the first one. Oh, what a, a one-two punch! Like just in yeah. the fact to like, yeah, Snake Eyes. It's Cage teaming up with Brian De Palma, and mm. of course you're going to be like interested in that. He's wearing like these garish suits. We've kind of got that like, you can see the wild man that's in him. He's playing like a rogue cop and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that, I really gonna, like. Yeah, I really be, need to rewatch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 an interesting one. There's like a, a, a kind of mythological like. Uh, uh, alternate ending that I think you can only really see well, the the last place I, I managed to see it was on the De Palma documentary because mm. it's like a, a section where they talk about that and the, it was supposed to have this like biblical style ending where it's like uh, a bit like a, a but the thing is is like it literally was an act of God so it's like a real uh, Deus Ex Machina moment mm. where it's just like, all of a sudden like a flood is coming or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. So like, uh, but I, that stuff always fascinates me of these like kind of alternate endings and like yeah. what it could have been. Um, but yeah, what a one, two punch of first films. Yeah. I think I was too young to understand really what the fuck was happening mm-hmm. throughout it all. I must've watched it when I was like seven or eight. Cause I remember I watched Predator way too young. I, <laughs> so I must've been around that same time. I was like, I have no idea what this is. But it's fun. And that's, I think, a lot of people give Cage shit, but a lot of his films are just fun. And Primal is a prime example of just a fun action film. Definitely. So, um, would like, would those have both been on TV, those like first watches for you or like? Yeah, it would have been on like the TV. And then I remember, um, I can't remember what the first DVD of Cages I bought was, but I remember I was listening to the podcast with John. Um, the other day and he was talking about how he remembers watching Lord of War and that was in my house when he slept over at mine in a high school <laughs> so I definitely remember getting Lord of War and we got it out of the Blockbuster bargain bin amazing because I knew I had mates coming around so we just went to Blockbuster found like a load of cheap DVDs and brought them back and obviously Lord of War is a great title the cover's brilliant mm-hmm. and I was like fuck it let's give it a go it's, it's, it, and, and it's, it's a film that like has got some fantastic like moments and for me it's been a while since it, but mm. like there's there's kind of that opening really sticks in my mind all the time like with all the bullets and stuff like mm. that and the, 
there's that scene i think midway through with the plane being deconstructed in like a, a time lapse and stuff like that and it's like well that they like that's the thing like i haven't seen that film maybe two years and that mm. that stuff sticks yeah it's it's a great it's and a lot of people like when i kind of ask the question online like what's people's favorite that one crops up quite a bit yeah it's got a good following and like jared leto's in it, he gave a solid performance and the scene where they like they repaint the boat before the navy or whatever come and stuff it's a really solid like great film it it really like makes me want to see though a uh nick cage and ethan hawk like team up movie like those two like just getting considerable amount of screen time together mm. like what well, especially like i don't know with uh one of these like like a safty brothers and like those mm. two in a film like could be like real interesting because like I don't, not that they look like they could like really like they could be related but like mm. in in movie land you could yeah. pass off cage and ethan hawk being like brothers or something like that <laughs> definitely yeah, yeah compadres <laughs> so amazing um what is your favorite nick cage movie ever favorite nick cage film ever i've been thinking about this and <laughs> like i'll bring up john a fair bit because it's who i've talked to about cage the most and he has like his three picks and um i've got something similar but i still think it's you know i've gone in 60 seconds is a really good nick cage film i think that might be my favorite i remember watching that younger and that's the kind of he's not restrained he's got the freak outs he's got like that but there's such a good ensemble cast up like play with him mm-hmm. and bounce off him and that's something that like a lot of films either lack or they get like they don't have that ensemble cast to have fun with him as well well yeah it's that kind of they they created that like fast and furious dynamic like that they didn't really quite understand until a few a few movies mm. in anyway do you know what i mean like it was it wasn't until like maybe four or five where they kind of went oh no this isn't just like vin diesel and paul walker this is like the whole gang and yeah. that, that film that film kind of got it off the bat and it kind of felt like they had a bit of something for everyone do you know what i mean like it's like if you if, if you fancy uh angelina jolie you got that and also if you fancy predator you've also got that <laughs> with angelina jolie with that hair like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it's the yeah, it's got to be gone in sixty seconds, or I'm all, I am a sucker for National Treasure. Okay, yeah, I I, t- I totally under- I totally I, I totally get that. They're like uh, films for me that uh, I always say like rainy Sunday films, uh, especially now like with Disney Plus and stuff like you can just stick them on. But it yeah. was the type of thing that like if it's if it's showing on TV and like I stumble across it, it's like. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not skipping past. Like I've, I've got to watch it, and I've, I, I get lost in that kind of action adventure stuff. Anyway, like yeah. And once I was like five feet away from Sean Bean, and I didn't <laughs> say anything to him, and I still, whenever I think of National Treasure, I, I kick myself for not actually like going up and saying hi to him. Well, because he's he's like a, re- a a real villain in that as well, yeah. isn't he? Like that's what's good to see. It's like it's a it's a kid's it's a primor- predominantly a kids film but like yeah it's got like a a real baddie in it yeah (laughs) um so amazing that's uh i'm gonna have to pick one i'm afraid though or do you would you like to pick one of those as a stand i'm I'm gonna go gone in 60 seconds 
because it's forever changed how I think of the word, like name Eleanor as well. So there's, I, I see, I always quote gone in 60 seconds more. And if I'm waiting for someone to like move, I start doing the hand thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's let's go. <laughs> amazing, amazing. 60 that, seconds. That's going in the uh, hall of fame of uh, people's, people's picks for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that and um if i may be wrong here i've been wrong in the past with this but that may be the first shout out for gone in 60 seconds as a favorite and something that i find, really yeah yeah like not not that it's a bad film yeah but, but it but more than anything it talks to the fact that cage is so diverse and he kind of has something for everyone which i think is glorious yeah i think it's probably it's because he's memphis in 60 seconds isn't he i think that's one of my favorite cage character names as well memphis range yeah, he's, yeah. He's, got, he's, he's got some solid like especially around that era like what is it stanley goodspeed um, yeah cameron poe caster troy rick santoro and yeah memphis range it's like this that's a solid top five names do you know what i mean some of them do sound like you've you've opened a open <laughs> Opened a dictionary, put your finger on a word, and then flick to another page and like picked another. Yeah, it's word a bit childish like... Gambino Wu Tang name generator. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> I could have put it back myself. Uh, amazing. So now's the perfect time to talk about Primal Mike. Take it easy with my cat. What is it? White Jack, maybe four hundred pounds. <laughs> I have hit the mother load. To the mother load. I think this one's going to the highest bidder. So nice to see American faces. Marine Commando. Under arrest for crimes against humanity. Seizures can happen without warning. My radio will be on 24 hours. Dr. Taylor. The man that we're looking for is a mercenary assassin. A professional killer. Loffler let most of the animals out. There's only so many places he can hide. Who says he's gonna hide? I'm going hunting. Government wants him alive. Loffler, put a bullet in him. And the same goes for the cat. You kill my cat, I'll blow your head off. Got a real nice cage for you. Rated R. Was this your first time watching this film for this podcast? No, I'd watched it before. And I remember watching it a while ago and just loving this film. And then I remember you were putting calls out for films and I was like, Give me primal. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this is a re-teaming of actor and director in this case. And in the case of uh, Nicholas Powell, he had only ever directed one other film, which was uh, 2013's Outcast, mm. and which obviously starred Nicholas Cage. So like, he's obviously got an affinity for the cage man uh but like a really interesting director i'm not sure if you know much about him at all like i know he was a stuntman initially because i think 
after reading up on him, it made sense why the John Wick trailer had been on it and stuff because that was a stuntman turned director which made that John Wick franchise so work so well. And I really like this kind of trend. I, I say trend, there's two of them that I'm aware of. <laughs> but these stuntmen who know how the workings of film and how it's going to be shown on screen, they have an insight and a first-hand experience that I think is really interesting. So you get some really great visuals in terms of primal with the fight scenes and the pacing and obviously with John Wick. Well, yeah, and, and Nicholas Powell's got some like real solid credits as a stuntman, right? Like if you've if you kind of look through that list, he's like he's he's done he's done some he was in like, Gladiator, I think. Yeah, he's done stunts on Gladiator, Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, the, the, so I, I, yeah, English, English director as well, I assume, because he's like it's start yeah. like he, 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 here's one for the uh, for the for the British listeners. He used to be a stunt coordinator on EastEnders. <laughs> there you go. He's, he's done a Touch of Frost, Silent Witness, uh, the Lockstock TV series, that kind of like came and went in the yeah. in, in 2000 i assume for most of his career during british tv was if someone slammed a pint glass down angrily that was his hand yeah yeah <laughs> what the like, stunts would be on a british tv show that or like if like <laughs> phil mitchell fell down a flight of stairs drunk or something he'd be the one taking the tumble that's <laughs> yeah where i reckon he wore a lot of bomber jackets or like do you know what i mean like <laughs> with the yeah, with the with that with that classic orange lining, I, I, I'd assume. But um, and and this like obviously going into this film, it, it, I think if you went in blind, like ha- having just known that he's the guy who directed Outcast, you could go in a bit trepidatious, right? What mm. was your kind of like? Well, yeah, can can you remember how you felt when you like first were going to watch this and what you kind of expected? My expect, like, it's grim because I love Cage. My expectations are never that high, you know, because I remember I kind of went in with, to watching 2 on one with, like, relatively high expectations and that dropped pretty quickly. But this, I was like, let's give it a go. And the thing that I was, like, most excited about was it was Kevin Durand facing off against Nick Cage. And I love Kevin Durand as an actor, so I thought that was a really good combination. The premise, I like it might be fun so i was like it's gonna be worth a watch it's definitely worth the three pound as to buy so i was like this will kill an evening let's have it yeah and obviously in the intro i kind of did like a, a very loose summation of it could you kind of like uh do a, a bit of a better synopsis for us kind of like the kind of like the build-up of this film before things go haywire as such yeah. So Nick Cage is a jaded animal trapper selling them to zoos around the world in shady dealings. He then has to get on a ship with his cargo to Puerto Rico or Cuba. From there, as he's boarding the ship, the feds show up and they have to transport a dangerous criminal and then hilarity ensues (laughs) as they get on the ship and it leaves. Well, yeah. When we get like when we get to that point, obviously we're in. That's when we're like introduced to the rest of this cast. So there's obviously, as we mentioned, obviously Nick Cage as Frank Walsh, uh, um, Famke Jansen as Doctor Ellen Taylor, Kevin Durant as Richard. 
Loffler, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have um, La Monica Garrett as Garrett. Sorry, Garrett. <laughs> La Monica Garrett as John Ringer. We have Michael Imperioli as Freed. We have Isaac San Diego as Vasquez, uh, and then like a whole host of other kind of like just U.S. Marshal cannon fodder, basically. Mm, yeah. Like, no <laughs> offense to those actors, but like some of them, like I'm reading their names on IMDb here now, and I'm like, I don't remember you being called that. <laughs> <laughs> but like when when we get onto this ship, it's like it's really like it's really interesting. I was kind of gripped from from the get go, and like I kind of forgave the film quite early because like we get this scene of Cage in a tree, like yeah film kind of opens up and when we first see this white jaguar that like a thing of legend in, in brazil i think it is yeah hey like the, it's it's a cgi jaguar right yeah once you get past the cgi being like alien three tier maybe a bit better but it's a three pound dvd if you're expecting avengers endgame effects out of this you i set your expectation too high yeah, so yeah. for what it is, it does the job. But that's what I mean. Even like even with those like things, I was like, that that's not that's not bothering me because I was like, yeah. it's this is what it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, and but it's it it's it's fun from the get. And I was like, one of the things I've got down in my notes is the fact like it doesn't take too long to get like to kind of. For the switch to happen, so yeah. like I think I think I checked the clock and it's like twenty seven minutes in. Like in that time, they've set it up perfectly in kind of who everyone is and yeah. like some of it. Like obviously, like it's a bit like probably nitpicky, but there is like a very convenient moment where they're all at like dining tables and like like yeah. C- Cage's character is like brash and loudmouth, and he's like. Hey man, if we're gonna be on this boat with this guy, we gotta know who the fuck he is. Yeah. And then like and then obviously we get we get the kind of uh company stooge for like the NSA or something like that who's saying like oh like gives us like the kind yeah. of uh, the, the backstory of everyone in Just Lee. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he does like the kind of John Cusack in Conair, where he's like, Well this is and I got I, I, I got some Conair vibes from this. I'm yeah. not sure if you got like- I got the same thing. I remember I said to John after I watched this, this is the, my favorite action cage since like the Con Air, like action cage period. But even talking about like pacing and action, even in the first five minutes, you have that kind of like cheap jump scare of the Jaguar coming up to the platform and then him going to knife fight the fucking thing. Yeah. So it's even the pacing of the film as you get into it in the first five minutes, it's like this is happening. Well, it's it's like that thing that we have in a, like like a Bond film or something. They kind of give you that like big like bit at the beginning, bit of razzle dazzle, and and then like kind of simmer down for a bit, and then kind of kick back into it. But yeah. like, this is like a solid what like ninety three minute film, and that doesn't doesn't mess about with its kind of like. And there's enough like jeopardy and uh, kind of like wheels in motion and stuff like that, and enough players and like. The people you're supposed to care about, you care about. Yeah. You know I mean? And like, it's like they they know like these U.S. Marshal guys are essentially the Star Trek red shirts. Like, <laughs> you're, you're kind of like it's it's signposted from the get go. Like, 
They ain't making it to the third yeah. reel. Of if this if they aren't getting a first name in the first 20 minutes, you don't need to pay attention to who these people are. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so as, as the film progresses, obviously, um, with uh, Kevin Durant's character, he fakes, well, yeah, he looks like he's having a seizure, right? And like, well, one of the things we get brought up at that like exposition dinner is that like and cage said cage says to the, the nsa guys like why why didn't you just take a plane with him which like I, as an audience it, it's kind of, yeah. i'm kind of glad he was there because i'm like yeah why the fuck did i i've seen another like I've, I've seen lost like they had someone they were extraditing someone to go yeah. down to america like they just got on a plane like and like again like you can look at this two ways but this this again is a 90 minute action yeah so like, don't expect too much. It's just like it's got a very convenient. Uh, he's got like a con- brain damage, right? That means if he goes over a certain altitude, he will essentially his brain will like pop, and they yeah to... yeah. There's no questions because you could be like, well, why didn't they sedate them through the, the entire ship? Why didn't they do anything like that? Because that's not going to mess with his ear pressure or whatever was triggering triggering seizures. So there are questions that you can ask, but. Just don't, because it's 90 minutes and it's a fun film. <laughs> I, I, one, one of the things that really jumped out to me as well is like the kind of terrorist organization or kind of like militia organization that uh, yeah, uh, Loeffler used to work for. We're called Sword of God. Like, yeah. which, they, 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 sound like a, they sound like a band that like I wouldn't necessarily like, but I'd go like, they've got cool merch. Yeah, <laughs> you'd you'd buy a T-shirt and then someone would ask you to name a track, and you'd just go the self-titled. I like their earlier stuff. Yeah, uh, in the in the witch's wood, and just try and like come up with something a bit like yeah. a bit mystic, and hope that you like like roll roll that uh roll that ten-sided die right. Yeah, <laughs> but like the introductions to Durand and like Loffler is really interesting, and Durand's one of them character actors that I don't think has ever been given the shot he deserved because he's phenomenal in the strain he was great when he popped up in vikings and in this he talks with like a slightly higher voice i think and he has this really creepy smile throughout the film where he you know he's in control the entire time and with that same conair john malkovich vibe of like his character in this that that's the thing i got straight away as soon as soon as he's kind of introducing even the way it's shot we're like you get this thing of the restraints on his mm. arms and it's like kind of these people coming out of this van. All I could think was Cyrus the virus. Yeah. And then he's like uh, caged up in the, the hold. Like, he's, yeah, somewhere between like, like, yeah, like Cyrus the virus in that kind of holding cell in the plane. And, and he's a bit, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit Silence of the Lambs with uh, like Hannibal Lecter almost. Yeah. Like he's this, and he's a guy who's, incredibly like smart as well like yeah and yeah so like at the 27 minute mark he fakes this seizure that that and it, it's brutal right like when he gets that guy in there and he's like biting oh, his fingers bites his fingers does he bite them off or does he just fuck them up because i can't remember if there's like i don't think there's a shot where he spits them out i think he just like chews on him a bit but i think it's that thing of like he's locked his jaw on and like he it's that thing yeah. he he knows what he's doing so he like 
lures them both in with this seizure, kicks his chair out. So, and it's quite like it's quite striking imagery of this guy, like mm. kind of chains like round the waist, round the wrist, kind of like uh, being like held up in the air, and then yeah, like shoots one of the guys, and kind of like from then like just kind kind of takes over the boat, like yeah. sub by using subterfuge and stuff like that, like destroying certain things and kind of the, the big thing that kind of draws cage mainly into the action is he lets all of his animals loose on the boat. Yeah. And the boat, it doesn't just have the Jaguar on it's these monkeys with their babies who are super aggressive. There's a tapir for some reason, there's parrots and there's not a parrot. There's one parrot that knows what a gun is and can talk about it, which is a <laughs> handy little device to have in a film. And yeah, so he's got all those animals that are out as well. And it's like the poisonous snakes, which was like the, one of the big tension points in the film. Yeah, they're, they're kind of set up really well as well. Because like when, when, when it's uh, revealed that the snakes are loose, uh, you, kind of, you kind of are aware where they're going to pop up at one point. Because like he's not cages over the radio uh frank is and he says like well the snakes are gonna go wherever it's the warmest and it, you know you've got these two like guys in the engine room you've got that guy puffing his cigarette yeah. and you got you got you got this kind of helper jerome and they you're like oh no then you're just worried you're like which one is gonna get fucked up by the yeah. snake like <laughs> um so like yeah press it like press it on with it like um well is, is there some scenes kind of in this like set up and kind of before things really go buck wild that like we've missed or that you kind of like really stand out to you? I think before the animals get released and like Loughler breaks out, it's just kind of like the setup. And I feel like Famke's character wasn't really utilized much. I remember when she was introduced, I was like, you're harboring a fugitive and you're trying to cross him against trying to get him across like international waters on a ship and you're making her wear a skirt you bastards everyone else is decked out in like military gear and she's in full like office like official dress and like regalia and it's like why isn't she wearing like the tactical shit yeah well yeah and it's the thing with like famka jensen's like an odd one she's like kind of she seems to be like a lot of the time well i think it's mainly taken but like the wife in things and stuff yeah you know what i mean like i think this is the first film outside of like x2 where she's been given a chance to shine yeah and it's it's good but they could have used a lot more of her yeah 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 like and i don't know I, I think like the the kind of tension like between her and cage is quite good i think i think one of this film's strongest points is their kind of like relationship because like it's not overtly like no, there's not like a romantic thing to it, really. It's not like a romantic sub, like like subplot or anything like that. It's it's this kind of like just tension between like I don't know if it's like sexual yeah. or like there's just this kind of like flirtation between them and like and we, just like the little nod that he knows her dad from like the San Diego Zoo when he worked yeah. there. And there's like it it it, it gives chance for possibly some of cage's like best lines because he's kind of like stumbling around the ship drunk uh, at one point and he comes across her and he goes ah what's up doc yeah. like, and it's <laughs> like well that's great it kind of gets cage to like kind of flex this wild like muscles and I, that's the thing is like this is like quite a human cage performance mm, and it's yeah 
that thing we were talking about um yeah i think we've kind of mentioned earlier is what's great about cage is when he is like those eccentricities and stuff like that are a part of the character and mm. it's not just like this takes you out of the film or anything like that it's like his character has probably led like this wild life whether it is months on end in the wilderness yeah so he is gonna and he probably spends a lot of time on his own so he probably is gonna be a bit eccentric and i don't know like he's got these quirks to him that feel feel real and they feel like that is the character it's not yeah like, it's not acting as it were yeah and from like an action cage perspective he's not invincible and untouchable like he gets knocked out in the film and stuff while like that would have been unheard of in like connor or something like this as he takes punches and he keeps rolling with it this is a lot more bruce willis and diehard action hero than like rambo mm-hmm. yeah so obviously once the once the animals once the menageries out of the cages the 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 uh ship goes into something that all of us are uh au fait with and uh know a lot of now it goes into lockdown and uh but like <laughs> frank frank ain't having it and uh he delivers a great line when he's like talking to the the leader of the tactical team who really reminded me of there's a cop in i know you watch this show in uh criminal minds that oh, yeah. act, the actor really do you, do you know the cops net like the the guy i'm talking about uh, oh Ed, like derek morgan derek like, morgan yeah, yeah the yeah <laughs> it, it, it looked like we they wanted like Derek Morgan from Criminal Minds. Yeah. And they're like, well, he's like he's really busy because he, he well he now does like some like cop show, like some actual like I don't know like Blue Badge or something like that. But like, do you know what I mean? And like, it's always funny with these kind of straight to VOD or like DVD films to see the. Uh, see see like the who they wanted casting yeah they've got um but like like what did you think yeah what did you think of uh uh, is it john ringer as a character i really liked him because he's obviously the face of kind of the establishment and one of the things that kind of like is a theme in this film which i think runs through a lot of stuff at the moment is like that distrust of the federal government and that distrust of authority. This is like Frank Walsh is like anti-authoritarian. You know, he goes through, he was a Air Force mechanic, so he was in structure, and that's what probably gave him his distaste and distrust of authority. And then they say he went through eight zoos in 10 years. So again, he's got an anti-authority problem, so he's like working for himself. Mm-hmm. And there's that kind of push against it, and that's kind of what Loeffler later on in the film tries to win Nick Cage over with is to be like, they are using you. This is, you know, the mistrust and trying to sow them seeds of doubt, which are already there because of kind of people's distrust of the feds. And he is a great pillar of what you go up against. He's unflinching, unmoving. And like in his head, he's the law. And he plays it. LaMonica Garrett plays that really well. And he's just like this huge intimidating figure in the film. Well, what's really, what's even more interesting as well is we kind of like, there's so many like kind of pillars pitted against each other because we obviously have, yeah, like the strong arm of the law with uh, John Ringer and like his US Marshals. And then we have like the kind of company stooge who's like, his thing is he wants to like, he's got to get him there alive. Like that, like, yeah. that's his kind of like, 
that's his uh, modus operandi and then we've got like the we've got the crew on the ship who are just like we just want to get from like point a to point b once like the animals are released then you've got frank's fingers like well fuck all of you i don't i don't care about like do you know what i mean i'm with i'm with these guys on the ship i like i like uh morales mm. and like the the guys in the engineer and, and uh Raphael. even though he makes a joke to Raphael when he asks him like do you like me and he's like well i like you sl- slightly less than the parrot and like, it, <laughs> like it's moments like that that give you like a really nice um yeah, that really humanise, I think, uh, Frank yeah. Walsh's character. But, like, I think that that kind of dynamic uh, makes it really interesting in that it's not just, like, it's all of them versus uh, Loeffler or, like, it's this kind of, there's a distrust. Yeah, the, the conflict and the agendas are always, like, superseded and it's, you know that what Frank's agenda is, isn't going against, like, it's going against what Ringer wants, and then behind Ringer, like, Michael Imperioli's character is, like, playing even, like, a bigger game that, like, no one else is even aware of. Yeah, it's, like, really, like, I don't know, I think for me, and it kind of comes to a head later on in the plot, which I'm sure, well, we have to get to it, because it's a big moment in the film, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) But, like, yeah, obviously, we unfortunately somebody does get attacked by the uh the snake right bites morales eventually mm-hmm. bites one of the snake and the the cook as well he comes to an unfortunate end when um much the monkeys to, get him yeah which is like that this film manages to kind of allude to so many other different films but not in the way where you're like ah. Oh, I wish I was watching that. It's just like you kind of get the vibe of something, yeah. not not necessarily like ah oh, they've ripped off that. Like I don't that moment. I kind it's like a mixture somewhere between like Jurassic Park and uh, is it Deep Blue Sea? The moments I was literally just about to say the kitchen scene reminded me of Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yeah, it's got it's got it's got that kind of vibe, right? And I think it's like anything in a kitchen where like there's definitely, especially like they're little creatures and they're mm. kind of running around. It's like that kind of uh, uh, Jurassic Park thing with the kids like hiding. But like, it's it's pretty brutal what happens to him, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like going back, I think you were about to like say you had like a quote or something, but one quote as the ship goes into lockdown, which kind of sums up like Frank's character and his viewpoints against Ringers is when Ringer asks if the taps are working and he goes, I know how a fucking faucet works, you federal clown. And it's the level of condescension Ringer had to Walsh and the contempt Walsh had back at Ringer was just a, a really great character tone. Well, the, yeah, and there's a, there's another there's another line he delivers which I think is per, like perfect when he says like I'm not go like I'm not just going into lockdown. I'm going to get my animals back. Like, and he says like, how long will it take for this arsehole to find that arsehole? And it's like, you know, it's like, it's like he he already thinks he's like, well, you're like, he already thinks everyone's an arsehole. And then like, he's like, he really sticks it to. I think his ringer he says it to, or yeah, yeah. He's like, when when obviously uh, more of Ringer's men get get killed, like um, after yeah, Morales is sh- uh, bitten by the snake. Uh, ringer shoots, R- Ringer shoots the snake. 
and then one of the guys gets taken down by the jaguar and there's like mm. this again like a very tense scene of like you've got frank with his like tracking device going into this uh, room and then you've got a couple of the like u.s marshals going in and like again even though it's like a yeah like a a ropey cgi jack like jaguar when it when it jumps out it's like <laughs> yeah but yeah the the point i was like leading to is when when he kind of like after that moment ringer kind of like that's when he's kind of against um freed like mm. uh, and he says to him like right like i don't give a fuck anymore about your like we need to extradite him and get him there alive he's like he's dead and he turns to yeah. frank and he's like social social cat that that's dead and he, uh, and he, sa- he says to him he's like frank says to him like you kill my cat i put a bullet in your head and it's like yeah this guy doesn't give a fuck like literally the only thing he cares about is like those presidents on like on money do you know what i mean yeah. like they're they're the kind of like masters he answers to like yeah. not- and the interesting thing i've just thought of while you were like talking about that is it was like it's an interesting like i don't know if it's a parallel but it's an interesting thing where a federal agent and a government employee is saying you're going into lockdown and some guy is rather anti-authoritarian went no i'm fucking not <laughs> and that kind of distrust is like deep rooted it's quite like present especially in like this culture and society at the moment so that is like i really found the interesting thing was you know even though there's not a lot of american citizens or thing or anything on that ship it's really just frank there's still a distrust of the government and there's that libertarianism and like anti-authority in this film is like that's deep rooted and it's even like it's been out in like a lot of things like in tiger king where they're like fuck the feds and there's a lot of that kind of attitude now so it's interesting to see it in this setting as well and like how it's deep rooted into even in a film that's from 2019 and filmed earlier than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as the plot goes on, obviously Loeffler manages to like get the upper hand on them when he takes over the bridge, right? He takes out the the second in command and one of the one of the cannon fodder gets taken down. And then he recharts the he turns the boat around and destroys all the controls. And then we get like um Frank manages to to trap Loffler and like he's again like there's moments like that he kind of like the way Frank is reminded me of like a John McClane type he's kind of got that kind of charm to him where he's like he, he takes his um he takes his map off him he kind of like takes him into a room and um is it is it Loffler grabs Raphael at this point and like he, he he's holding hit or Raphael comes into the room yeah so it's he's got Loffler at the gun and the kid walks in but then the Jaguar walks in and he's only, he'll only have time to shoot one that's it so yeah, he has, yeah yeah because he had a he had a gun didn't he and he has a he has a um tranquilizer a dart rifle yeah. yeah yeah so um I went like again for like for tense scenes like that, that I, I I've written a few times in my notes like the tension in this is spot on like yeah. it, it it it, it it builds it and then like kind of it's like a pressure cooker because it'll build up the tension and then it will give like a little bit of like let out a little bit of steam and then it will kind of and i guess that's what this 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 whole plot is based on is that thing of like not only do we have this like 
loose madman, this kind of like all-knowing, no moral killing machine. We also have <laughs> these animals that yeah. don't care about any of that. All they care about is survival. And yeah. we'll like fuck you all up. Do you know what I mean? They don't yeah. care about your political allegiances or this, that, and the other. Whether like, you're morally good or bad, they'll just like, yeah, the the jaguar yeah. will kill you either way. And, I, and the interesting thing is, I think it's the only other character you see a perspective of is from the jaguars, where they have that like filter yeah. and that lens, and it's all from like the jaguars' point of view, which is a really interesting way to like build tension. And in that scene where it's like the Mexican standoff, you have the jaguars' point of view as it switches between them. Well, this film, like, funny enough, likes to like likes to play with the Mexican standoff a, a couple of times, and um, but before we get to like the uh, yeah the the big one, we get uh, well, my note here just says Ringer is being an arsehole. I think like he 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 does get to a point where he kind of like re- really re- really ramps it up, right, and then. This is at the moment when Frank and Dr. Taylor argue about, like, she finds out that Frank is, like, an illegal smuggler, basically. Of Like, he says, yeah. I, d- I don't have paper for these animals. And he's like, and um, that's, again, we get that, we get that nice tension between them two. Because he, he says, like, I make your heartbeat someone that you can't take home to the Admiral. And he's like, he's like being flirtatious in the way that, like, like you see past this roguish exterior and just see that like and and that's the thing as an audience member you also see that as well like uh and then like yeah um how is it that frank gets knocked out again like it's when he's got the gun on him and they're walking through the archives and i think loffler makes a move and knocks the gun out of his hand and then it's just a scrap and that's when he just starts like he like Walsh gets a few good digs in, but Loffler like Duran's like what nearly seven foot tall or something like yeah, he's yeah. huge, and obviously gets the upper hand on him as he's military. But then I've made a note, and it's military strong versus jungle strong, because <laughs> Cage he's not like Marvel ripped. He's not like an action hero physique. He's got like a belly on him. But to me, that's more believable. Where you have like those dudes who are like Dockers or welders or whatever where they have that like physique where it's like a barrel belly or whatever but they're still strong as fuck so if you have to build like a high hide in the jungle and you have to trek and you have to catch these animals and drag them back in cages you're gonna have a physique or like a strength that belies like what you actually look like yeah and i think it it, it interestingly says something about just like nicholas cage's career as an action star because he's kind of of that generation of like uh everyday man like mm. action heroes and i think like that's kind of like boomed in the 90s especially it's kind of like i always look at him and keanu reeves because yeah if you look back to the 80s it was either people who were like these chiseled greek adonises whether it's just sylvester stallone's or Dolph lundgren's or arnold yeah. schwarzenegger's or you had like these people who were highly trained in like martial arts and could like do you know what I mean your Van Dams. Whereas like when it got to the nineties it was like, oh let's let's put these guys who's like do you know what I mean? It's like well Yeah, it was after like the diehard effect, wasn't it, with Bruce Willis? Yeah, that was kind of like the the, the proto version of it. And then like the nineties it really exploded, whether it's like 
speed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like he he he's not he's not he doesn't have to carry the bus. Do you know what I mean? He just has to make sure it stays over <laughs> over fifty miles an hour. It's like yeah, cardio and- became more important in the nineties than like just bodybuilding. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, like Cage in The Rock. It's like he like science he's a Jeremy you know I mean? he's like well he's a scientist it's like yeah. oh that that's a bit more achievable than being like yeah so you gotta you gotta work out in the gym like every waking minute like you, do you know what I mean you've gotta you've gotta get up before you go to bed to get in the gym to yeah. look like Arnold Schwarzenegger it's like I don't know yeah and then that's the thing I think he was only ever really like I read a thing where the only the best shape he was in was in Connor when it was like 10% body fat He's doing like the upside down push ups against the wall, and since then it's he's not been again. He's not like Chris Hemsworth ripped or no. Chris Evans or whoever, and it's more realistic. And he's not, you know, Steven Seagal level unbelievable where it's like a fucking like a weeble running around with like glasses <laughs> on. You know, Nick. It's still he's he's just he looks like a man. Like he looks like he's got like if you want to use the term dad bod, but he's just an average. Shit, guy, and I think that's probably down to Cage, who's like, if I'm doing these like six films a year, if he got ripped for one, he'd have to suddenly lose weight for another thing. It'd mess up his whole, yeah. Like, Giggy doesn't want to be doing like what Christian Bale did to his body. So it's got to be just like something like a shape and a fitness level that is consistent across like films like The Everyman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so back to Primal, when did you, when did you realize? But uh, is it Michael uh, Imperioli? Imperioli's character was a rotten apple. Oh, I don't know if it's because of my paranoia and distrust, but the second they were in the canteen, canteen introducing everyone in the first twenty minutes, I was like, "That guy's gonna fucking betray everyone." <laughs> but it, the way he does it and the level he does it, because he comes off as like he's not gonna get his hands dirty and he wants them alive, and then his first kill's pretty brutal. Yeah, he's like he like slices, he stabs, yeah. stabs a guy in the back of the head. So it's not like he's using a gun and being like emotionless. Like if you're stabbing someone in the back of the head, that's a level of brutality that kind of gives more away about a character than if he just shot him. Yeah, because you are literally getting blood on yeah. your hands. Like it's not a figurative thing. And then yeah, like after after you get that and that Aston Loeffler kind of like cottons on that like mm. he's. He's not as he seems, and then uh, Freed kind of like is, well, no, 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 Loffler like kind of in classic villain uh, like tropes tells tells Frank his kind of dastardly plans, and he's like, I need my map back because I'm going to chart this boat to Grenada, and then I'm kind of going di- to I'm going to disappear, right? It's like that's yeah, and then. It gets like for me, possibly one of the hardest moments to watch in this film mm-hmm. is when Loffler decides to like that he knows the bargaining chip well, as we've established, Frank doesn't care about the people on the boat. Yeah. He care like even though like I don't he's he's let it slip with the kid because mm. that obviously he had the chance to shoot the the tight the the jaguar the jag. yeah, yeah. Or, or or loffler and like went for loffler and it's like that kind of thing because he knew that the 
yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you kind of get that impression that like that's 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 given a part of it away. So like, but he shoots. He starts shooting the parrots, and it's how did that scene make you feel, Mike? That was really hard to watch because obviously, and I've put like on my notes, I'm like that's probably the closest you get to a Nick Cage freakout in this film, in my opinion, where he's tied into the cage and he's watching. Loughlin kill the birds and it is really brutal because you know you know that as like a cold-blooded assassin he's happy to just go through the crew and go through the like like the team and just kill everyone but it's when you like when like people in films turn on the animals is when you're like this guy's just unapologetically evil and I don't know why that is but I know this is why my girlfriend didn't watch this film with me because I was like animals die in this film and she was like i'm out and that where he's going through and he's so ruthlessly just lining up the beds and just they're exploding in the feathers and it's so well again paced and shot and the score under it's just amping up that tension that it was a really like grim watch like it was harder to see this again you know it's it was harder to see the beds get shot than like half the fucking team well yeah and one of the things that i found really interesting about this film is like I thought going in, I would have a problem with uh, the character of Frank Walsh because he is a hunter. And then, like, not that any different, like, oh, obviously there is, like, different levels of hunting. He's not a game hunter. In, like, mm. He's not a trophy hunter. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? He, he hunts them, keeps them alive. Like, But then what they're, like, again, that's a different level of moral ambiguity because he doesn't really care what happens to them then after that yeah. i imagine like uh, as famke jansen's character says to him like he's kind of it will yeah like kind of gets out of him that he'll just go to whoever the highest bidder is yeah and as somebody um yeah who, th- he says that but then he's also a heavy drinker so it's that heavy drinking has to be rooted in the moral implications because you aren't gonna be a zookeeper for 10 years mm-hmm. and be a like a big game hunter to like trap them and take them to zoos or whatever and not care about them. Obviously yeah. his reaction betrays his and like his bravado and his like front to it. And that's what I mean. Like I thought like I was going to have a problem with it because like I've never mentioned this on the podcast. Cause it's not something like I, 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 I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm preaching anywhere, but I am vegan. So I was like, like going into this film, I thought like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have a, like gonna have a problem with that. And it's like, no, like this is like, it's nuanced and Mm. as as you mentioned like the character like there's shades of him and there's like this thing there's enough kind of breadcrumbs left for you that if you're kind of paying attention you will pick up on this kind of thing that he is like he had like underneath jermaine he's a he's he's a he's it's a to quote shrek like he's an onion he's got layers do you know what i mean and like kind of if 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 you pick them away, like yeah, you might get I don't know, you might get to one that w- won't make you cry. I don't know. I don't I don't, I don't know where, where that analogy was going, but you kind of uh, yeah, I think you get uh, get the point. Uh, but like yeah, I think the the job the the film handles it really well, and I'm not sure if that's down to Richard Leader's writing because mm. um, I looked at I looked into him as well, and like from everything he's done as a writer, like this is his second like feature oh, really script. yeah like what was every- his first one uh, a film called the suspect in 2006 like well the rest of them are tv movies so i mean mm. like like kind of like 
you know what I mean? Like studios, like meant for cinemas or like straight to DVD. The yeah, the rest are shorts or uh, and a lot of written. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. They're all like written by straight to DVD and like just by looking at the title stuff I've never like heard of. I'm gonna imagine. Uh, a lot of like Hallmark Channel esque mm. stuff. There's like Christmas on Chestnut Street and like Amber's Story, Scared Silent. Do you know what I mean? These these all sound like late after or like mid afternoon yeah. Channel Five fare, where it's like <gasps> like lots of lots of high strings and kind of like yeah. lots of family yeah. tensions. But like I like I obviously like I dabble in writing. And this guy, like the script and like the film, it's well written. It's like the characterization and the nuance and the humor. And even the way the characters communicate is so well written that it's, it is a really a testament to how well this guy has written this film and the screenplay. And just, you know what, this film's just such a treat. Yeah, because we get that, we get the moment like after, yeah, after the last scene we were mentioning where obviously. Uh, Loffler's still on his rampage and he like again like a character you don't you don't really get a lot of screen time with but it's Jerome and like when it came to like his kind of death like him mm. getting his neck snapped I, I I just really felt those two like engineers like the kind of yeah the guys working in the engine room like I, I, I don't know it's something about them like you kind of you get who they are straight off the bat without yeah. really like I don't know if you got. I got a, like I got a. They were a couple vibe in my head. It, oh really? Like, from my perspective, I was like, though, like to me, those two were like. I don't know if they were in a relationship, but I thought they were a couple, and I thought like they had a history, and that was like deeper from what it was like. I don't know if it was like the looks and the way they acted around each other. It was to me. I thought they were a couple. That was the vibe I got from them. And I really enjoyed like. Jerome and I can't remember the old, like the older mechanic's name, but I really like them two characters, and I was like sad to see Jerome go. Yeah, because like for for me, the kind of my reading of it was like they just like because obviously the the other guy is that much older, but it's just like Jerome is possibly like from I don't know somewhere he's, he's along from Jamaica from yeah from Jamaica, so like somewhere where the boats like kind of like docked up one day or something like. Jerome's joined them like yeah. will it, willingly. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like a kind of like he's taken him under his wing, and it's kind of like this. I don't. Well, yeah, whether it's a romantic relationship or it's kind of like this paternal, like yeah, uh, some relationship. But yeah, it's like, like yeah, there was definitely like a love and connection. I think between them two characters that I really enjoyed, because obviously you had the father and son on the ship, yeah. and then to these two were the only other like couple that were really seen in the ship. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed like their relationship and chemistry and that fight. I was screaming the entire time, help him like jump in as well. Because if both of them had got him, if the, both of them had jumped on Loffler, it might have ended differently. Mm-hmm. But Jerome's death was like one of the character ones that I was really sad to see. Yeah. And it's like, again, that that's definitely down to like uh, a one, two of like some solid directing and, and, and a, a, a great script that this mm-hmm. film's got um so and then yeah and you, you say you're saying about script as well there's a great like the next scene's really great where you have um uh f- like fra a freed like and he finds frank in the in, in the cage and he's like can't like just let me out and he's like it's locked 
And he says to him, like, have you not, have you not seen the movie? Have you not, do, do you not watch TV? Shoot the damn thing. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like that kind of thing. It's like, great. It's, it's, it, it has those moments of levity throughout it that yeah. kind of go, all right, we're not like, that. Th- this is what this film needs. Like, it, and it, it, the thing is, this film is so much better than it has any right to be, I think. 100%. Like, I've seen a lot of reviews talk about it as a B-movie, and I get that from the premise and the CGI and stuff. But the level that, like, everyone commits on this film from the screenplay to the direct and to the acting is phenomenal for what it is. Well, yeah, and it's got that kind of thing as well, that it's a film that, like, you'd probably write off because it's got one of those pull quotes on the DVD cover that is like, um, what is it like? I've got this up because I wanted to talk about this because I don't understand what it actually means. The ultimate hunter versus the ultimate predator. And I don't know who's who in this. (laughs) My thing was like the pull quote where it's like, you know, when they have like, it's X film meets X. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I think in in the case of Primal, it is um, something along the lines of like snakes on a plane meets like, uh, yeah, like snakes on a plane meets under siege or something like that. Uh, Die Hard meets snakes on a plane. That's what it has on the back. Quoted by Starburst. And I did my research and that isn't the... uh, the, the, the sweets. sweets. No, it's, <laughs> it's it's actually a yeah, like a, a film magazine. But uh... <laughs> yeah. but if you remade this film and you put like The Rock as Frank Walsh, mm-hmm. it would it would be a blockbuster film. It would be like it would surpass what Skyscraper was in The Rock's like canon. But that that is the thing. There's a fine line between like these, and it's all a matter of budget. Like. Mm. You, Rampage Skyscraper, they are B movies. Yeah. They are B movies with a A movie budget. If this came out in the 90s, this would be an iconic cage film that people would be talking about today. It'd be part of like whenever there's a cage marathon or a film festival, this would be one of those films. If this was made in 95. But it is a film that uh perfectly manages to like get cage at the right time and it's mm. like like to portray that character who's got like this kind of he, he's got a lot of notches on his belt yeah. and stuff that he's done in his well life. Wearing. yeah he's got a lot of scars to bear and like kind of tales to tell um so yeah like as always we've got to push on with the plot and uh uh yeah we have so we have morales the captain he's 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 in a he's in a bad way and the um the rest of the the re- the rest of the kind of survivors decide this is our chance to get out like frank says to to uh, raphael like do you want to say your goodbyes to your dad essentially like we we've got to get off this shit there's they've all the life lifeboats have kind of been marooned at this point and there's there's what there's there's one left like a reserve so yeah. they they take that up they they throw it overboard and then who bloody turns up? No, it's not the Jaguar. It's Loffler. And then we get we get that shootout right on the mm. on, on the on the deck. I think is the correct 
the correct term for that part of the oh, boat. Well, before that, the shock and death is um, ringers. Yeah, sorry, like I, I didn't even bring it up because it kind of like it kind it of happens so fast, and it's it's perfect in a way because it's the exact same way the rest of the team dies. But for such a primary character to go out the way he did was, I was like, holy shit, that actually happened. Yeah, because they kind of just play it off like boom, boom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they they don't make a song and dance of it. Yeah, like, it wasn't a last stand or anything from. Ringer or LaMonica Garrett's character, it was literally as brutal an exit as you could really get for what is considered one of the biggest characters in the film. Yeah, because, like, you kind of, like, you get a glimpse, you get a hint at it that it's going to be, like, this last stand because, like, he kind of comes in, there's um, Ringer and, like, another agent are coming up the stairs, like, Loffler's... Loffler takes out the first guy and then... Sh- or, like, no, he shoots. He shoots he Ringer. Shoots, like, yeah, because it's like you think they're going to the last stand and it's going to be this big shootout. But it's literally as they open the door, Loffler steps out, shoots Garrett in the chest, shoots the other guy down the stairs, and then shoots Garrett again in the face. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then through the head. And it's, it's over, like, yeah. Yeah, and it's, like, it's, it's sobering in the fact that, like... And it is that thing of, like... I don't know. I I, I kind of like that way that it treat it, it didn't treat it like this kind of like this is the big Hollywood yeah. moment and stuff like that. It's like, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of mess around with like quote unquote wild animals, yeah, like, which is kind of basically like the wildest animal on this ship, be, is Loffler. Yeah, is that like. It's, it's it's not gonna be it's not there's not gonna be chance to like dance around it is just no. gonna be like if he's got a chance he's gonna kill you yeah it's very it was very like red state by like kevin smith and it's like delivery of that it was very just like gone and then it was carry on with the rest of the plot it was very like it wasn't a throwaway kill it was an important kill but it was a brutal like how they went about it yeah yeah definitely so yeah just, but, but that See, if I was doing this podcast on my own, I would have probably forgot that. <laughs> yeah, I, I made a note. I also made a note that LaMonica Garrett was a slam ball player before he was an actor. Do you remember slam ball? No. Where they were like, do you know, like they, were, they must have been, why are people not watching basketball anymore? And being like, Is it the one boring. with trampolines? Yeah, let's add trampolines to, like, to basketball. And they made slam ball. And LaMonica Garrett was a slam ball player. Amazing. Before he was an actor. But um, yeah, that was a little side note. But yeah, uh, Ringer's dead and we're on the deck. Yeah, and then um, Freed shoots the raft and Loffler manages to take Raphael hostage and calls the Coast Guard to say, like, we're on this ship. And the, the thing is, this is one of my like nitpicks in this film, is that like the way he speaks as like pretending to be Ringer like he, he's just like really like blasé and uh, informal about it all because he's like, "Yo, ring her out." But at the same time, he's there like casually in a banana. He's like, "Oh yeah," and one more thing, we're gonna need some food on that chopper as well because we're all pretty hungry down here. And it's like you don't sound like someone who is a in distress or if even if you are in distress and you're like a trained military operative to be like the kind of guy you would expect to be like do you know I mean down the line like yeah. ringer is very much like yes uh no sir like 
Do you know what I mean? Roger, over and out kind of guy. And like Loffler's yeah. like kind of like for I someone think, who's so yeah. smart, it's like, come yeah. on, mate. <laughs> it just shows that like one of his biggest flaws throughout the film is he's rather cocky and he knows he's smarter than everyone else on the boat. So he already knew he was smarter than Ringer. And by killing him, he was like, I'm better. And he knows the person on the other end of the walkie doesn't deserve his acting. He doesn't deserve to be acting like Ringer or like to act military. He knows. He's like, he doesn't even stop eating the banana to call for help. Yeah. He's just like, you're going to do it anyway. He, like, he's just got that level of like contempt and cockiness around it all. Well, because in his introduction as well, do, what he says to um, Ellen, Ta- like Dr. Ellen Taylor, he says to her, like, oh, I'll meet you in like that Al, Al, Al Campo lounge for yeah. some cocktails. And uh, he says to Frank, like, or Frank says to him, like, I'll meet you on like the the racket the shuffleboard deck shuffleboard deck yeah yeah, yeah. and um that, that and and the next scenes when he brings that up to Famke Jansen's character when like uh she's kind of sneaking about trying to find Raphael and an actual like uh, this this like got me and i lo- so i live streamed like me writing the notes for this and uh, just and and kind of taking and when pause the film every so often talked about other things that I didn't really kind of I'm a, I'm a salesman I didn't want to ruin this episode as well uh, but um that moment really caught me off guard when the monkey jumps up at the window I was like you cheeky bastard yeah like you put this little <laughs> cheeky scare in <laughs> um and then yeah like that's when Loffler says to her he's like oh like we uh, so we we like we said we'd meet uh, for a couple of cocktails in the lounge. She's like, and then he obviously takes her hostage, and then we get this like fantastic Mexican standoff, but in a way I've never seen because it's kind of done in a straight line. Like normally it's in, in a yeah. triangle, but they really like utilize the kind of like they use what they've got right so yeah in, like the galley of a ship or like that kind yeah of and by this time a walsh has switched to a, a hunting bow yeah it's like the guy's <laughs> a fucking, yeah, so, yeah so far we've seen him use like i think at one point when he's like he blow darts a couple of monkeys at some point yeah. doesn't he he's, yeah he's, he's used to like a kind of uh yeah, like a revolver yeah the yeah, tranquilizer yeah. and now he's switched to it now he's like fuck this and gets the bow out well, it's, but yeah it's, it's really interesting how it's in the, the line for the standoff yeah so in the middle to kind of like this it's quite hard sometimes to explain stuff in a in an audio format but we have we have frank in the middle facing uh uh, loffler who has got famke jansen by the neck classic classic hostage move he's got a gun to her head his standoff with frank is if you shoot me i shoot her perfectly fine but then we have Michael Imperioli's character coming in to really fuck up shit because he is then behind Frank with a gun and he's got, he's pointing his gun at Frank and saying like, well, you can't shoot him because I need him alive. So if you go to, if you need to slacken off your bow, otherwise I'll shoot you. So it's it's a real fucking clusterfuck, right? And it's like, in all honesty, in that moment, the only other way I could have seen it going is Famke Jansen dead, mm. Cage like Cage dead, Michael Imperioli dead, and thing and and uh, 
Kevin Durant's character getting away. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, but it's again, it's it's a lovely. Well, I think a Mexican standoff is kind of like you're gonna you're gonna build. That's a that's a kind of tension free mm. pass because like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna build up tension with a Mexican standoff, right? Yeah, and it's the reveal that like Imperial, he's like it's it's NSA because he's like CIA or whatever throughout the film. Yeah, and then it's NSA, and it's like the bigger plot of like what they need Loughlin for down the line. That it's all starting to come out, and it's it kind of like reinforces Cage's distrust. And is that when Loughlin starts trying to win Walsh over? Isn't it? He's trying to like get him on his side. Yeah, because that's when you don't know whether to trust Loughlin because he's mm. obviously saying to Frank like. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm ex uh, NSA. I actually worked for the NSA over in Brazil, but I was moonlighting for both the Mex uh, the the Brazilian government and the like cartels. And he's also NSA. He just wants to take me back so they can kind of silence me. And they've mm. got this kind of big like Hydra like web that's like kind of going like yeah doing all this dirty stuff and it's like you don't quite know who to believe at that point mm. like it's yeah it's it's uh it's 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 it's, it's really in, it's really interesting and it's it's very clever in the way that of that staging as well that you've yeah got, you've got you've got frank in the middle because it is like he's kind of got this like well he's got two devils on his shoulder yeah it's like who who is the lesser of the two evils in that moment and it's it's in that moment as well again it, it, it's weird because it reminded me of uh the rock in that it's like in that moment you kind of go like oh maybe loffler's got a point maybe he is just a pawn in like the kind of government's games and then it's yeah. like that kind of thing like ed harris's character is like He's justified in what he wants. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's got a reason, but like the, his means of going about it are pretty yeah, shady. That, that's the thing. Like Walsh's distrust of like government or authority isn't rooted in anything outlandish or unbelievable. And it's the same kind of like distrust issues that like the audience has with governments and an authority. So when um, Loughlin is saying, I was an assassin for the government and now they want to silence me, you know that happened. Mm -hmm. you, like there's already cases from the CIA and whatever in history where that's been the case so it's not a reach for it so it's when those seeds of doubt start coming in and when you see like Michael Imperioli's character you know being more shady and dishonest and pulling a gun on Frank instead of Loughlin it's like this is why those seeds of like distrust have been planted for so long yeah 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 and um, so how does that Mexican standoff play out, Mike. How does it? How does it end? If I remember, so Freed shoots Frank, doesn't he? And Frank, I know it ends with Lothla getting an arrow through the shoulder, mm -hmm. and Famke escapes, and then it's left to Walsh to try and find them because Lot like Imperioli bails as well after he's fired. Well, no, Imper Imperioli is, is is shot by. Um, is shot by Loeffler, I think. I think that's him Him dead, right? Yes. That, no, I was getting confused between, like, the first, like, on deck scene and the second one. Yeah, so he gets shot dead, and it's uh, Loeffler still alive with the uh, arrow in his shoulder, which kind of shows that, like, out of the two between Walsh 
I'm afraid Loffler was always going to try and kill Freed first. Yeah, yeah. Because I think he still has a begrudging respect for him. Walsh and his like anti-authoritarian ways, but yeah, Imperioli gets got. Well, and then we kind of like it's then it's all kind of up for the end game here, isn't mm. it? Kind of like we get this great exchange between over the radios between Loffler and Frank, and like, uh, is it Frank says to him like, "How about you? How about you come here?" Or like, yeah, how about you come here and uh, I'll kick, I'll kick your fucking ass. And he's like, yeah, yeah, all right then. And then they kind of have this, this meet up, and like again, like through his, through his hunting prowess and expertise, uses that to his advantage. Yeah, because by this time the jaguar has been locked up in a storage, like in the um, like electrical cupboard of the deck, and Walsh is hidden behind barrels and starts using the blow darts to go against a loffler yeah and he's he's got he's dipped them in this stuff called karari and it's this like it's just it's a great it's a great fight scene they have because obviously they have this thing of like frank hiding behind the barrels and kind of like it is that you again you tense up because you're like he could like he could he could easily be done in in mm. for that and it's like and the fact of the, the way we saw like ringer get like off and stuff like that it's like well this could this i mean the yeah. the person who could save the day here could just be famka jansen or something yeah, I mean? for, for yeah after the ringer it was kind of like all bets were off yeah and, it, and again plays to like walsh's like strength and character that he's hiding while he's poisoning him it's not a straight out brawl straight away it leads to a knife fight but the initial confrontation is a lot more like smart. underhanded yeah, it's a yeah. lot more like using their smart. And whilst this is going on, we kind of have this like um, ticking time bomb because uh, Loffler has let out like the last remaining venomous snake, like at a perfect distance away from Famke Jansen and Raphael, in that like that's coming towards them. And then we kind of get this cutting back and forth between the the shootout and then yeah. He starts to get groggy from the from from the Karari. They have this knife fight again, and it's like they're they're both taking hits, and like mm. Cage like gets it, like he gets really, stabbed, yeah, yeah. Like, in the shoulder, and it's like it's pretty like gruesome, and like, yeah. then it then it kind of leads to like uh, I don't know. I, I I guess some people could call it underwhelming, but the, the Karari just kind of takes over basically Loffler and uh, he then realizes he's kind of been set up into this trap there's a, a classic like what is it like noose on the floor that like yeah the old trapped. noose on the floor ruse yeah yeah, yeah. With a, he's, he's even put some like um <laughs> like a hay over it yeah 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 so it's a, he's, he's a smart guy as Frank Walsh but like yeah um, do you want to? Uh, I'm not sure if you have it in your notes, but like, there's um, there's a, a brilliant line, uh, kind of Loffler's final line that that he delivers, and um, Frank's retort. If you don't have it, that's fine. I've, I've got no. It what's here. what's that one? He says, "I can't seem to fill my legs," and Frank's retort is, "I can't seem to give a shit." And then, like. <laughs> obviously pulls the rope and has him hanging upside down and it's like not only is this just a solid 90 minute actioner the fact that like they've pulled off the kind of like 
final like 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 do you know what I mean? It's got a cool off Bennett, like or let off some yeah. Stuff. It, do you know what I mean? It's got a kind of like it's got one of those. It's got one of those like classic like yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's something you can just like use for like future reference. So it's like whenever anyone says anything to you, it's like I can't seem to find whatever. You can be like, I can't seem to give a shit and walk out the room. Yeah, yeah. It's like a real like bang, phone down moment. Uh, and then like you think like it's it's pretty like it's a pretty brutal send off for Loffler, right? And it just gets worse. Yeah, because lot, lot like Cage goes and opens the cage, like literally. He don't like on this podcast saying he opens <laughs> the cage. It could be like a metaphorical thing, or he goes wild. But uh, there's another interesting like um, exchange, like right, but yeah, like a kind of like final exchange to have where he says like, "How much mo- like how much money do you want?" Like uh, Frank, I'll give you, I'll give you anything. And he's like, "It's it's not about the money." personal yeah because yeah. like Loffler said it to him before where it was like it's not business it's personal and mm-hmm. cage says there's a little throw over his shoulder as he lets the jag out yeah and uh, um and then and then then yeah we kind of like the film very neatly wraps up here right we so we get yeah. the, the coast guard coming in and, the talking uh, parrot's still alive yeah and i i like i so i've got a theory about the that well, yeah what did you think about the ending to this because i've got a, i've got a theory to to how 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 where this goes after this this plot because yeah it just wraps it up nicely and it's like the coast guard show up and they go do you have permits and famka says no it was destroyed but i saw it and she starts to have that gray stuff but then like that uh, moral like grayness and then it's uh, cage has said that he's gonna let the jaguar go to a reserve and it's all just a very you know, it goes to a lot of a happier ending of a simpler time. Yeah, because she she probably does like the oh the, the the biggest flirtation move you can do ever is she gives him her business card. I'm not sure. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're 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 engaged, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, like, did did you give your your fiance a business like a business card when you found her, or like vice versa? Is that is that I, the way I, you like? <laughs> I don't think I I gave her a bit. She had she does have some of my business cards, but it's um it it's not a pickup line. It's not yeah, exactly like, exactly yeah yeah. If it, like you wouldn't think like oh what's like what's a way to so really yeah. like I I don't know. We're probably like there's probably people listening to this right now who like work in the city and stuff like that. Be like, what do you mean that that's how we do it? That's how that's yeah. how we, that's how we move and shake. Like and then it cuts like the rainforest in Costa Rica or something in cages on a really shitty laptop trying to type in like a full <laughs> address and then gets like a like a number wrong and it bounces back as mail not able to send <laughs> and he's sat in the jungle going fuck. But yeah, my <laughs> my, my um. Because you get this, you, it kind of the the camera like pulls away as you got like Cage with this parrot on his shoulder, like looking like I don't know what's that? What's that? Uh, Kurt Russell film? Is it like Captain Ron? Like he's, do you know what I mean? He's looking like he's he's he's, he's looking like he have a spin off series. Do you know what I mean? The escapades of Frank Walsh, but yeah, she says like, oh, I'm from like Adelphi. Uh, like and he's like, oh, it's just apparent. Like, how how would you feel about living in Adelphi? And my so my theory of what happens next after this film is it turns out that where Frank has to deliver the Jaguar 
is no other than Joe Exotic's zoo in Florida. <laughs> like, that is a strong theory. <laughs> it's, it's like, like, I can see that. I think I think they mentioned a Kenyan reserve. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I think that would definitely be maybe that's where it's like if the tapia didn't make it because we don't know how that turned out. So it might be he's like he's going to Joe Exotics because he's got some like bullet hole ridden beds, which I assume they'd buy for a small, <laughs> small fee to feed the rest of the tigers because they didn't really give a shit. But yeah, that's a strong theory. Yeah, and and, and it leads in perfectly to um well, I'm not sure if it would be next year or the year after, with Nick Cage playing Joe Exotic. Is that actually going ahead? Yeah, that's that's like that's that's fully slated. Like that's it's on IMDb. It's like it's been it's he's even talked about it in 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 an interview like yeah that's it's 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 happening like uh i think it's been like picked up by a channel as well or something oh, really? like a production company but yeah it's in pre-production so yeah that is that that's happening no way that, it's a series as well isn't it yeah so or it's cage's that, first dalliance in tv i was gonna say because that's like the thing he said he'd never do because he's a film star Hey, he did. He did industrial. Uh, what was it like? What's that film? Industrial Symphony Number no. Nine. That was a TV movie. So, mm. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and like I think, yeah. Now more than ever, 2020 is where I think we've realised that the line, the the lines really between TV and film are blurred mm. completely. And I think like prime example of that is. The BBC series, which yeah, by the time this is out, would have been wrapped up by now. But is the Steve McQueen Small Axe series on the BBC, which is like the first the first episode or film essentially is two hours long, and it's mm. a, a series of films basically. And like you you look at a lot of a lot of things, it's like some people would argue like Host, the the film that kind of blew up on shudder it's like 68 minutes or something like that and it's like well people could argue well that's just a standard episode a a standalone episode of something Mm. do you know what i mean and it's like and and you look how cinematic some tv is Mm. like there are there are episodes of breaking bad that are more cinematic than 211 yeah do you know what I mean like or like you like you, yeah. you, you put you put the kind of the humanity bureau up against like the yeah like uh like the sopranos or something yeah and 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 like yeah yeah the sopranos is 20 years old do you know what I mean yeah. like, like yeah like this this kind of thing and it's I think it'll be an an, an interesting avenue for cage to yeah. be to go yeah. down I always hope that like cage would hold out for tv to do like you know a true detective season four or something of that like caliber but then obviously i don't know how well written the tiger think king thing's going to be i'm just i'm always wary of stuff that just seems to like jump on the bandwagon yeah i know that this is kind of has been like has been in like development for a while 
like it's been in development before tiger king or like do you know what i mean like the scripted because yeah. i think it's it had been optioned before tiger king even like oh no way came out so yeah mm -hmm. and i think i think it's that thing and obviously to announce things as well obviously people in like tv and hollywood they know do you know what i mean they they know we're not going to get that series out before that one so it's like well we'll hold off a little bit and when that kind of does blow up then we're announced we've got nick cage to star in this because that that seemed to happen at like mm. when when tiger king hit its apex of popularity right and like kind of when everyone and their mum had seen it in the world it's kind of then they went by the way Nick Cage is going to play Joe Exotic in a TV series. And that kind of everyone was like... How many articles did you get sent about that? Because I got a fair few. Yeah, I got a fair few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, fuck's sake. I've been trying to like talk up Cage's films and stuff. And now he's going to be the fucking Tiger King. <laughs> like, Amazing, Mike. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, I always ask about the film in specific that we've just talked about. Does Nick Cage have bad hair? I don't think so. I think it's it's quite like Mandy-esque still. It's still that kind of like thinning brown hair. That's just, again, it's just every man. It's not a wig. It's not really anything outlandish. It's just, you know, Frank yeah. Walsh's hair. Well, it's that thing. Like when I, well, Yeah, like when, when I tend to talk about bad hair, it's normally like, well, I think the prime example of, re of recent times has been uh, Looking Glass, where it's like this kind of like, jet like i don't know unhumanly dark black hair where it's like <laughs> what's going on there and uh so talking about yeah stuff that is off the wall and crazy does cage do anything spectacular and crazy with his voice in this film i picked up i don't know if it's crazy but part of the character i picked up he references long beach and he has that surfer dude tone to a lot of stuff so when he goes out of like when he starts emoting it starts like breaking through of like he was like a beach bum or something back in the day he has that kind of long beach californian surfer dude way about his delivery of certain things so i think that's the craziest he kind of goes in this well i, th I, th I think this kind of the voice he uses in this is really interesting like it reminded me of some another film he's done but i couldn't quite pin it but like obviously it makes sense for the character because obviously he says he used to live in san diego so he used mm. to live in california and like um yeah would have they are, yeah they, well i've been to the beach in uh san diego so they do they do have the beach or probably would have been up and down the kind of west coast yeah. anyway so yeah he's like I, I think it's a great a great vocal like i don't know I Frank Walsh is just a great character, I thought, and it's like there is definitely a lot to be said about this character. It's he like he came in fully formed, and you just started learning more things about him. And this is probably the most one of the most rounded Cage characters in recent memory. Yeah, and it's that thing as well that, in regards to uh, not just being fully formed, but um, he seems to. I've lost my train of thought here. I do apologise, Mike. Um, like he would be a real world character. Like he would be. A, he's a real person. It's not yeah. like a parody or a, yeah, like anything. Yeah. This you, Frank Walsh could exist in this world. If Tiger King can fucking exist in this world, <laughs> Frank Walsh definitely can fucking exist in the like the world now. Well, it's the thing that he's not just a. He's a. 
like he's a flawed person mm. and the the point i yeah the point i'm trying to make is that it plays upon like cage's real world baggage and i think mm. that's i always find that that kind of casting quite quite interesting in that like he is a man who like I think, to some degree has been in the public eye for a for a long time obviously is quite reserved about a few things but it manages to like use that like world weariness that cage like gives mm. off the impression he's got and like uses it to both the character and the film's adva- advantages mm. um so let's move on to the final question some people and i i more and more so think wrongfully go to nick cage films looking for these kind of cheap freak outs they that all they want is the sizzle reel of yeah nick cage loses his that shit. nine minute youtube video does nick cage freak out in this movie i don't think so he like the most like freaked out he gets is when um loffler starts shooting the birds and that's an understandable reaction to it so i don't think he has like an unnecessary reaction to anything in this film and nothing hits like a tone or a cadence that is unnecessary so i don't think he has a freak out in this film i think it's all you know as it should have been i totally agree with you mike so um yeah as we wrap things up and as podcasts go uh where can people keep up to date with you with everything you're doing whether it's the music the podcast or the comic books uh, yeah cool we so, and you can go to my website which is mike333west.com I'm at Mike333West on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. I brought out a full-length album in August. So that's a full album. It's on vinyl. It's on CD. It's had some good reviews, which have been nice. And yeah, that's that's on my band camp and on my website. And then you can find Into the Van on Spotify and Acast and all the podcast platforms. And you've been a guest on which I was lucky enough to have a while ago, I've had people like um, Anthony Simpkins from Gems on VHS. I've had Sean James, who's a phenomenal musician, whose music you may have heard in The Last of Us too, And, you know, some great country musicians. And I've had Beans on Toast on recently, and it's just been a really fun thing. So all that's through the website. And I haven't written a comic book in a while, so I need to poke John to try and get something to do that. So, you know, just focus on the music and the podcast at the moment. And if you want to hear about the comic stuff, go listen to John's episode of this amazing podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Uh, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, yeah, having you on the podcast. And thank you so much for raging with Cage with me. I've, I've been looking forward to this podcast for so long, so I've been so excited to get this done. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again to Mike West for coming on the podcast and chatting some cage with me. And thank you guys, as always, for listening. We're one step closer to the end of Cage's career. Well, not the, the end, but you know what I mean, up to date with his career. However, as always with Cage, you take one step forward, he's taking two steps forward. As we've seen for this year, he's got four films, at least slated for release and one of them i'm very very excited about is willie's wonderland released on the 12th of february 2021 
not even a month away. So cancel your dinner plans, whatever they were going to be inside. Anyway, tell your loved one, we're, we're, we're not having a romantic time this Valentine's Day. We are watching Nick Cage beat the shit out of some demonic animatronics. That's what you want for Valentine's Day, right, guys? As for the future of this podcast and where it's going once I'm done with Nick Cage, if you follow me on social media, as you all can, if you're listening, if this is your first time, it's at Caged in Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You would have seen some teases, some kind of some utterings of some stuff going on. And yes, yes, if, if you don't know, uh, Caged In will be kind of morphing into a, a new era, a Coppola Connections, where I'll be looking at the extended and wider Coppola family, the brood in which Nick Cage has come from, to kind of understand him that little bit more by understanding his family. As for next week on the podcast, I'm going to be talking to Logan Kenny about the 2019 or 20, depending on where you live and when it came out, uh, film Grand Isle. Before then, though, this Friday, there is another bonus, another caged-in conversation with Marianne Zumberg talking about her top five and bottom five Nick Cage films. Because in 2020, as if things weren't bad enough, she decided to watch every single Nicolas Cage film. I say this week in, week out, but please, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be fantastic. And tell me, what is your favourite Nicolas Cage film and why? Like, you don't have to go, oh, Petrus is amazing, I I, I love Petrus. It's not about me, this is about Nicolas Cage. Or tell me, what is the film you are most looking forward to me covering in the Coppola Connections? Any of the extended Coppola family films, which is your favourite? And who is your favourite? Are you a, are you more of a Jason Schwartzman fan? Are you more of a Talia Shire fan? Are you, are you more out there? Are you more of a, a pirate Christopher Coppola fan. If, if that's your bag, then let me know. As I mentioned in the intro as well, you can always support the podcast on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash caged in pod, or you can head on over to caged in podcast.limitedrun.com to grab yourself either a caged in print, one of the Superman prints, or the brand spanking new Wicker Man caged in t-shirt speaking of the wicker man if you'd like to hear me talk about that film spider-man into the spider-verse and mandy tune into tomorrow's sudden double deep i had the absolute pleasure of joining those guys to talk about those three films in a kind of man-ish triple bill their whole premise of their podcast is they pick three films linked by a word and talk about them uh and they bent the rules in my case and we got to talk about three films linked by the word man 
Uh, it just happened to be that Mandy slightly warped the rule. But that film is all about warping perceptions anyway, so we will have it. And obviously, if you're listening to this at a later date, head on over to Sudden Double Deep. Uh, maybe type in Sudden Double Deep, Petrus Pat Syllabus, or Sudden Double Deep, Caged In, and it will definitely come up. You'll be able to find that episode. Uh, Daryl, Matt, and Jeanette are absolutely fantastic. I love those guys. I can assure you that all three of them will be back on this podcast at some point. So if you have not had, yeah, if you've had, if you're not sick and tired of hearing my voice, uh, tune in to Sudden Double Deep tomorrow or right now if you're listening in the future. So, as always, guys, I have been Petrus Patsilivus. I've been caged in. You've been amazing. Until next week. Bye-bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copal Connections, a Drooptown Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.